today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app by searching for The Church at Bushland in your app store. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so in our app or by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Welcome back. I've got my good friend here, Josh, back with me from across the pond again. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. Well, te- well technically, you never left. <laughs> that, that is true. I can't leave. <laughs> Until July. Yeah. And then you must leave. For, for legal reasons, I must leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, last week, um, I thought we could kind of recap a little bit. We we got into evangelism, and I thought we should talk a little bit more. In fact, actually, it's your idea uh, to talk a little bit more about evangelism and kind of because we never got into the nitty-gritty of, okay, well, how do you do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I thought uh, tonight we kind of talk about how God equips us, personal testimony. Um, I'd like to sh- kind of share how I share my testimony. Mm, that'd be great. And then I think you also have some stories, if I'm not mistaken, that have happened even in the last week or two. Yeah, yeah. No, we'd love to share. I I just figure, you know, this is this is a gift for the whole church to use. Like, for sure, there are some people who are, called in particular to to do this like vocationally and things but man evangelism is something we're all capable of and yeah to be to be able to be in the presence of someone who loves to do it and is good at doing it yeah i want to find out everything you've got with that and bring whatever loaves and fish that i can bring to the party well you can bring a lot to the party um you you have a a really neat testimony just your life is a a testimony the things that you've seen your family you uh, were brought into ministry from a young age and you shared last week about when you were 11 years old uh, oh, yeah. and you were going around and you knew that you wanted to share. You knew what you were going to say. You are going to stand up for Jesus whenever they asked about you. And I thought that was cool. I thought about that several times. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, I think one of the things that's difficult um, in regards to evangelism is people a lot of times don't think they have what it takes. You know, I think that people get caught up on... Um, well, I just I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to go about it. Um, and so one of the scriptures that, that I really feel that uh, st- stuck with me is that Jesus, he gives us everything that we need. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, it says, Therefore, uh, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep uh, also you firm to the end and that you'll be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can go on, but I think that the, the, the point there is that he gives us everything that we need. He equips us even before uh, we know that we've been equipped. And, and, and I think I'm just going to go ahead and quickly share this other scripture because I think this kind of sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And that is in uh, Romans eleven twenty nine, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Yeah. And so that's a really powerful word. And I think that we need to just kind of sit on that word for just a minute, the word irrevocable. So I looked at several different definitions, and they all basically said the same thing, and that is not able to be changed or reversed. It's final. Yeah, that's powerful. Something I don't think about much at all, but powerful when you think about it. So he equips us. He gives us abilities and gifts, and, and he, he tells mm-hmm. us, all right, for the edification of the body, I'm going to give you these abilities, these talents to go out there and to do mm-hmm. my good work. And whatever he gives us is irrevocable. 
Mm-hmm. In other words, he's not going to yank them out from underneath us. They're there. Not only that, as we, as we nurture or water these gifts, mm-hmm. they're going to grow. Yeah. And so for me, I'd actually, we were talking earlier and you said something that was interesting. So my son, my son is, uh, he's 15 years old. He is, he's a cool kid. He's a real cool he's kid. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that. Now he's a cool kid, um, but he is shy. He's really quiet. And, uh, and so one of the things that I hear him really kind of come out of his shell is whenever he's playing guitar. Now, we were talking about this a while ago, and, and you said there's a lot of similarities because Grant's been playing for uh, you guys on Wednesday nights. Oh, yes. And I think you played with him, you know, I think you were playing drums, and he was playing the other night. Yeah, yeah. But I said, I said, you know, he's doing really, and you were really complimentary, but I said he's really, he, he holds back. He's very reserved. When he's in his room by himself and didn't think anybody's listening, I mean, he goes to town. And then you said some, something that really I thought, thought stuck out to me. So will you share that story a little bit? Oh, about me with the drums? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel really similar in a lot of ways when it came to playing an instrument. You know, I, I, had, I had some strange natural ability to play drums. I never had a drum teacher. I just used to hit stuff, and my parents bought me a drum kit, figuring if I hit that instead, maybe I'll be able to you know, play an instrument. Well, I hit stuff too, but not the same way. <laughs> they save money on a drum teacher as well <laughs> that way. But So I used to do it and by myself, yeah, I could play, I could play along to all kinds of my favorite bands and do all this stuff. And then my mom would do the same thing every time someone would come over for dinner and she'd be like, oh, you need to watch Josh play the drums. And suddenly my, all my abilities just shrunk into this thing and disappeared. And it was the same at church when I used to play. I didn't want to do anything extravagant. I didn't want to play to my ability because I didn't want people to notice. And then when I was, it probably wasn't until I was about 15, 16 years old, I went to a youth camp and I, there was no opportunity to play the drums. I just was part of the congregation. And for the first time in my life, I sang along to the words instead of mouthing the words like I did on a Sunday at church. And I learned to worship that week. And then something miraculous happened. I get home, got home to London. I jumped on my drum kit at church that Sunday. And I did what I did at that youth camp on the drum kit. And I was a transformed player. The confidence was there. Because all of a sudden I knew who I was playing for. It wasn't for the people in front of me. It was for God. And when I could do it for God, I could do far beyond what my own talents and expectations were. And I feel really it's the same with evangelism. Well, that's actually, I see a lot of parallels. So a couple of things there. First of all, um, you learn to take that gift and use it for uh, the kingdom, for his purpose. Mm-hmm. And you're really good at that. The other thing that I think it is, is that it was a gift, okay? It was a gift that was given to you. You worked, yeah. you nurtured that gift, and it grew. But it's irrevocable. I think, I mean, I've, I've watched yeah. it. It keeps, it's irrevocable. Well, and then the final thing that you said, so I guess three things, is that um, then you took that and you began to use it for him. Uh-huh. So like in Colossians 3.23 says, and all that you do, do is under the Lord and not for man. I think that's a very powerful and important scripture to think about because that is exactly, when we think about doing something for Jesus, if God was sitting there and he asked me to do something, the way I'm going to go about it, absolutely. What do you want me to do? Jump on a hand grenade? Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's different. So I think a lot of times we don't believe um, that we're called to do something. And so I think kind of that's what we ought to kind of hit on a little bit is how do we know that um, we're supposed to evangelize? And, and when I say evangelize, I just mean share the gospel. Uh-huh. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So what would, what would you say? I mean, how do you know that you're supposed to go and share the gospel? Well, for me, it, it all comes from Matthew 4, which is a scripture we touched on last week, which is, 
Jesus coming up to the disciples. It's Peter and his brother. And he calls them from the boat and he says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know, they were fishing for fish. They were doing their vocation. They were earning, you know, they were putting the roof above their head, doing what they were doing. But Jesus saw an ability to do something greater. And, you know, he saw that in them. But to me, if he saw that in them, he sees it in all of us. Like this story, we know they weren't picked for special talents and abilities. They were picked because they were men and they were willing to go. So Jesus, you know, puts it together. If you're following him, you've become a fisher of men. So to me, that's a call for all of us to fish for men. And evangelism to me is, you know, it's simply the art of fishing for men and women. It's, mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the act of reaching out and drawing people into what God's doing. And when I think about evangelism and when I think about how to do it practically, I go back to those tips when it comes to fishing. You know, I'm not a big fisher in the, in, in the natural realm. I've done it a couple of times. But oh, man, we got to get you out on a boat. Yeah. Yeah, got to get you out to the, to the lake. We oh. need to get in the mountains, up in the mountains. I would, fishing, there you go. I would love to do that. In my limited knowledge of fishing, I know that the only way I'm ever going to catch something is if I put my rod in the water or That's put exactly my nets right. in the water. If I'm not willing to do that and take a risk, then there's no way a fish is jumping out of the sea and into my boat. And when it comes to evangelism, the first tip that I would really bring into all of this is make the first move. Like you be the one to initiate something with the person that you want to reach. And, you know, maybe this is a friend that you know well or something. Maybe this is someone you've just seen in the store or at a gas station. But when you look at what Jesus did in, in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, Jesus came and he sat down and he saw somebody and he made the first move. And what's interesting is the woman did not bite. Like, to take it back to the fishing analogy, right, yeah. he put his rod in the water going for something and she gave him aggravation like she didn't respond in a way that he would necessarily want it to happen so what did he do did he back off in that moment no he went in again he threw his rod in again and he kept going until fast forward to the end of the story not only is she now a follower of christ she's an evangelist but, but she's now an evangelist she gets the whole town saved yeah and would yeah. that have happened if jesus hadn't have made that first move that's what I just think about every time I'm in a situation where I feel the Lord putting something on my heart for a stranger who I've come across. I'm like, if I don't make this first move, they're not going to do it. And in the rare occasion when someone else does strike up a conversation, capitalize. Well, you know, you said something there that, so you re we represent Jesus. And I think that's also something that we think about when we're talking about evangelizing is that we're afraid that we're going to misrepresent Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this. If you go out and you do something in the right spirit, I can't tell you how many times I look back in the past and I'll, I, like, I quote the wrong scripture. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, that's, I mean, I, 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 I remember early in my faith, I was like, I wasn't even guessing New Testament and Old Testament books, right, you know? But it's the heart. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to put yourself out there? And it makes me think about this, that we are a royal priesthood. In fact, you know, one of the scriptures that I wanted to share was just that in First Peter 2, 9, it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we, when we step out to evangelize and we activate that gift, he does something for us, that the love of Christ, Jesus Christ himself, his spirit, the authority from heaven down is, is with us. Mm -hmm. And we carry that authority. Now, it's just like this, though. We only have as much authority as we're willing to step out into. Yeah, so true. So you aren't going to know until you're willing to step out. Exactly. And, and that's, so it's kind of scary. Um, it, but let me tell you something. You will never, ever, ever be disappointed, ever, for stepping out and sharing the word. Now, 
there's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes when we hear the word evangelism, I know what comes into my head is the guy stood on a street corner shouting at the top of his lungs. And some did. Yeah. And, you know, that is a form of evangelism. But I, I think when we're trying to encourage the church and mobilize, you know, all of us as ordinary Joes or whatever to do this, we're not saying be a public speaker on the street shouting at everyone. We're saying fish for men, fish for the one, fish for a group if you've got a chance, fish in the waters God has called you to swim around in. Well, you know, there's so there, when I think of an evangelist, I think of George Whitfield, mm-hmm. um, Billy Graham. I mean, George Whitfield, he was an amazing. In fact, if you don't know who George Whitfield is, you need to look him up. He's really, if you've never heard of the Great Awakening, um, so he um, he passed away right before um, seven. He's, I think it's in 1770. So right before America began the revolution against. Well, okay. Uh, Sorry, no hard feelings. All right, good deal. Um, so anyway, but the the thing is interesting is probably one of the things that spurred that was George Whitfield, and not because he was you know anti country or any of that kind of stuff. Is because what he did is he taught people how to learn who they were in Christ. Their identity it was crazy. He only he died at 55. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. He was, he was fairly young. He spoke, he gave over 18,000 sermons and 12,000 additional talks. When you start breaking down how many times a day he would preach or speak is crazy. And so a lot of people think, well, okay, he, he would do it in a church. Well, he, okay, so I know I'm talking about George Whitfield, and I'm going to go to somebody else here in a minute. But George Whitfield, I mean, yes, he was in the church, but where he ended up reaching the most people was outside. Mm. You know, he would go to the poor. And so he got, he would go to the poor, to the miners and the people who, um, they didn't, they, they were overlooked, but he knew that God would never overlook them. He wouldn't yeah. speak to them. So in a, in a three day period, the first day, there were several hundred, the second day, several thousand. By the third day, there were 15 to 18,000 people would show up to listen to him. Mm-hmm. They were hungry to hear that. So what my point is on that is there are so many people, I think, especially now, um, you know, in, in where we are, you turn on the TV, it's just there, there's so much hopelessness. Yeah. People are hungry, hungry, hungry for truth and hope. Well, that's so George Whitfield, I mean, he was an order. I mean, he definitely was. OK. And you don't have to be that. But my point is from that story is that there are, I think, you know, so many more that are hungry today to hear the word. Yeah. And just for a piece of good news. We talked about the word evangelism, euangelion, last week, the Greek, which means that, um, you know, just a, it's the good news. So we have to be willing to share the good news. Mm-hmm. Now, I have several different techniques I want to share in a minute, like how I like to evangelize. Um, but tell me some of your, your preferred methods. Sure. I think for me, the, the biggest one I go for, if I'm evangelizing to somebody on the street, like somebody who I don't know, you know, they were a stranger two minutes before, my biggest technique that I go for is common ground. Um, I, I'm not wearing one today, but I usually wear like a, a Casio watch. It's like a cheap $14, very easily replaceable watch. And I, I have it as a mission of mine that I buy these to give them away. That's cool. That's a great idea. So I, I buy them. I wear them all the time. And if I see anybody on the street wearing one, I'm going to stop them and I'm going to tell them, hey, I like your watch. And then it's my goal from that point on to turn that conversation into something evangelistic like i want to share with them the love of god in one way or another and if i end up getting to swap my watch with them or give my watch away to them then even if i haven't seen the fullness of what i might dream about which is you know repentance and then you know turning to christ in that moment then i know i've given them something to remember me by and to remember that conversation by 
So yeah, the Casio one is one that I love to do. Something that I love to do as well is um, through some of the missions work me and Paige have done over the years, we've picked up a couple of phrases in a, a few other languages around the world. And so if I still see- a vibe, but they're not very good ones. <laughs> My, mine are very poor pronunciation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I see somebody from like, who looks like they might be from one of those countries we work in, I know I've got some common ground to say a couple of words in their language. And if they ask me, how the heck do I know that? Because why would I know how to speak Arabic or Tamil or German or something? Then my answer is always, well, I actually go and do missions work there. I work with the church over there and I have a lot of friends in your country who go to church. And then I was like, do you go to church? And then I, it's just such an easy way to get into a conversation with people. And I did this the other day in a park. I saw a lady wearing a headscarf and I could tell she was from an Islamic nation. So I just, me and Tommy, my father-in-law, we were, we were exercising, we were running and we ended up near them. So I just, you know, just took a risk, just threw my rod in the water and I said, hey, excuse me, hey guys, where are you from? And they said, we're from Iraq. So I just said, oh, marhaba, kifak, habibi. Which means like, hello, how are you? And like, habibi is this phrase of like, it means like, kind of means like my love. It's like a friendly gesture to say. And they're like, oh, you know Arabic. And, you know, they don't know I've used up 90% of my, <laughs> of my Arabic in that moment. Uh-huh. But it's, you know, I can say, well, yeah, I, I work I work in Arab nations. Like I work with the church over there and I work with churches. Do you guys go to church there? And before we knew it, we were praying together, these guys, because they could see we're people of peace. And that's really, really good. That's cool. Just find that common ground. And yeah, you know, you give someone that and some fish are going to bite, some fish aren't. I mean, later that day, I tried the same technique with another group of people who I saw from the same background. And it, it was nowhere near as warm. It's one of those kind of successful hmm, kind of deals, yeah. Yeah, I you have to be like, willing to, to. But that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're not. It's not about a rejection of you, and that's what I think. So much, uh, so many of us struggle with is rejection. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, you know, I think we need to address that word. It's not like me going home and my wife rejecting me. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like that. I want to go, and I'm like you. I I, I want to be friendly, so I talk to everybody. Um, and I talk to everybody at the store, if I make eye contact, you know, or if I, and sometimes, you know, this is maybe for a different day, I feel like I go by and I have just an impression that the Lord wants me to say something specific to this person. And, um, and I've, I've done that a number of times. I think relationship is really one of the most important words that we can use in evangelism. Yeah. Gen- well, okay. Relationship is incredibly important. Um, being genuine. Oh Yeah. Being yourself, I think people, they, they see through all the junk. Um, they see through the lies. They see if you're trying to do something, you know, for your own gratification, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so if people can really tell that you care, it will make all the difference in the world. Yeah. All right. Now, I know that y'all been watching me for a while, and it's hard to believe this, but I'm not the most attractive man in the world. And I look kind of scary, I guess. I don't know. And not so, when, Not when you're playing the cello. Not when I'm, I'm a scary cellist. <laughs> But um, so what's interesting is people, I don't mean to be, I never try to be. I think I'm a super nice guy most of the time. You are. But um, I guess I, I come across, if you don't know me, uh, is intimidating. And I don't ever want anybody to feel that way, ever. So I go out of my way to not do that. But we would, my Brandy and I, we would teach a parenting class at uh, Hope Choice here in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And there was a season where Brandy, um, she felt like the Lord really put it on her heart because originally there was all kinds of different people coming. And in the end, it ended up just being CPS cases here. That's Child Protective Services. I don't know what you call it in yeah, the UK. Yeah. 
Um, and so they were coming because they had to. And so what happens is a four-week class, and everybody walks in on the first day, and they take a look at me. Now, Brandy, they look at, and she's kind of sweet and bubbly, <laughs> but, you know, they take a look at us, and they're like, oh, they're just, you know, and they, their arms are like this. But by the end of the first class, they realize that we sincerely care about them and, uh, and that our hearts are in it, and, and all the walls start coming down. And after four weeks of that, um, I mean, we, we've had people give us incredible testimony and, and share things that blew my mind um, about their background and stuff like that that made a lot of sense as to why they were in the position they were in, which gave us a great opportunity to evangelize and to lead many uh, to Christ. And so I, I have no idea how many hundreds we've got to lead to Christ through that. Wow. And, and so it's it, that again, but it comes down to being genuine about relationship, about being real with people. Yeah. And, and I think that all of us can do that. Any yeah. of us just be genuine. Yeah. Because I'm a scary, burly looking cellist. Some people don't want to talk to me, but they'll talk to <laughs> you or they'll talk to you and, and you, you have a circle of influence that you don't realize. And, and I think that if you'll just sometimes just be willing to say, okay, well, today I'm just going to talk to somebody. I don't even know about Jesus. Yeah. I think that's maybe another thing is learning how to just have a conversation with somebody, um, you know, that's a complete stranger. So what, what would you say to that? What's it mean? You talked about the, you know, the watch. Okay, and you are confident, and you lead it into a relationship. <laughs> hey, have you, you know Jesus, or I do mission work. Um, but what would you say to somebody who they're trying to talk to a stranger for the first time? You know, I think, I mean, talking to a stranger, obviously some people are going to be naturally wired that way more so than others. But really, I would say, like, and I think you touched on this in your answer that you just gave there, you got to know that you're not going into this alone. Like, utilize the gift that God has given us, not just the gifts of the Spirit, but utilize the church in this moment like you said maybe you come across one way and maybe i come across a different way and we we can recognize where to use that for in each situation i'm like when you're talking to a stranger maybe just come in with something easy like invite them to church Uh, that's much easier to invite somebody to church than it is to try and talk about something deeply personal that's something i struggle with like i i can strike up a conversation I got to listen to the Lord about how to bring it into that area. But I know the striking up a conversation, that's kind of my responsibility. Like that's within my power. Yeah. That's within my willingness. I know if I do that, God's going to be with me once I step into faith. And once I step into that territory where I don't know where it's going to go, my favorite place to evangelize is on flights. Uh, yeah, that's a good, you, of course you fly a lot. And so that could see how you've built up a little bit of a pattern there. It's, uh, I have to battle my flesh because um, when I get on the plane, I'm praying. I'm like, God, give me an empty seat next to me so I can stretch Oh, it man, I don't make eye contact. If you're on Southwest, <laughs> I don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. I, I know what you're talking about. But then if someone's there, I'm like, okay, God, well, I'm making the most of this. Yeah. If I'm not getting space to stretch, then I'm talking to them about you. And then, you know, they're stuck next to you for a while. And sometimes you just got to get through that barrier of like, the formalities and then you can really start talking about what's important to you and what makes you tick and i mean really in all of this if if the if god and the kingdom of god doesn't make you tick then we can't expect in our evangelism to be able to go out and for that to spill out of us like we first and foremost we have to be right before god like and that doesn't mean to be perfect and sinless or anything that just means we got to burn for him like and we, that yeah. should be our priority that we want to live for him because then 
evangelism becomes much more of a natural overflow. Like it's easy for me to talk about my wife because I love her. And so she comes up in conversation a lot when I'm talking to friends and sharing stories. If I didn't like her and I didn't want to be around her, she'd never come up when I'm talking to a stranger or a person. It becomes so much easier when you're doing it from that place of love. It is. And when you want for that stranger what you have in your own life. So, you know, don't beat yourself up about being a bad evangelist. Just beat yourself up about not loving God. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, so you're talking about flights. So it's, there was a season, well, for a long time, I, I did travel a lot. And I, on a flight, had a book about the end of the world. Now, I was, <laughs> uh, I was just, it was, it was not a, a sophisticated book. It was a really kind of, it was a good book. I, I didn't know a whole lot about eschatology, which is the study of end times. And this would have been 20 years ago or more, um, more, which is kind of crazy to think. Man, I'm getting old. <laughs> anyway, so I was in a, on a, a plane, and this woman sat next to me. She saw the book I was reading, and at this time, I mean, I loved the Lord, and I wasn't afraid to tell somebody about the Lord, but I didn't have the Bible knowledge that I have now. Mm -hmm. And so this woman, uh, I could tell that she maybe had some Bible knowledge, but she was a bit against God. And um, so here I was. I was on this plane. like, hey, I'll get in and get her saved before we land. You know, <laughs> I mean, and that's not how it went at all. I mean, so she tried to get me like, well, what, what is faith? And that's before I really understood, uh, you know, you know, Hebrews level one, being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see, all the Bible answers. But I, could, I couldn't articulate um, the things that I wanted to say. And, and I will say that that particular encounter, I feel like I failed um, quite miserably. But I want to say this. I also see it as one of my biggest successes. Mm -hmm. And the reason I do is because I learned so much from that encounter. I was on a plane. I'll never see that person again, most likely. <laughs> okay. I was sincerely trying to share the good news, but she wanted to attack me. And that's okay. I learned so much. from. I was like, you know what? Okay. Well, now I saw everything that I did wrong. Okay, I didn't, well, how do I describe faith? Well, now I can describe faith very well. And I'm not just going to give you the Hebrews 11 one answer. I'm going to really talk about what it is to have a relationship with Jesus, why I came, and, and what it is to believe. And, and so that it is not just a single monologue when I pray. It's a dialogue with the Father. We can all hear his voice. These are the things that I, I just I couldn't articulate or talk about. Mm -hmm. So some other people I know have the opposite problem. They have all the Bible knowledge that are afraid to share or speak or communicate and and i think that any area that we're uncomfortable in if we'll step out in it god's gonna bless it mm -hmm. so how about this i know that you you told me not too long ago or, or a little while ago that you had a couple maybe some good testimonies of some things that might have happened in regards to evangelism over the last week or two yeah i mean well i mean the one the one that makes me the happiest is that, that one of those guys in the park that that felt like such a good one. And I guess one more thing to add into that story really from this week was at the end of our conversation and praying with each other, we added each other on Instagram. That's cool. Find a way to stay in contact with the person. As long as it's not a weird way, like, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, can I have your number? You know, maybe it's appropriate <laughs> to ask for their number. But when I, you know, if I'm going to be someone who just comes in for a snapshot of their life, I want to find a way to make that a long-term thing. So, you know, if it's giving them the watch, and then they always remember that, that I was the one who gave it them, or if it's connecting with them in some kind of social network. I mean, when it comes to the people on the planes, man, I have so many phone numbers in my phone of people like this name and then, you know, this flight or whatever. And you're not going to talk to them all the time, but at Christmas time, send them a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, 
all that kind of stuff. Those are those are really good things. Seeds are important. Um, I, I like to plant seeds, um, and a lot of times I'll do that via text. Mm-hmm. I'll just say, hey, you know, praying for you, Lord, put put uh, you on my heart. Uh, hey, happy birthday. Um, birthday's not a huge thing for me, especially these days. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, for some people it's a really big deal. I know that when Brandy and I, we first got married, our very first um, birthday. So, like I said, birthdays weren't a big deal for me, but they were for my wife. And so we were getting ready. We commuted as far as we had any children, obviously. And so we, were, we commuted to Amarillo together. We were living in Hereford and we're backing out of there. It's a little icy in the car, and we're backing out. And and so I said, well, happy birthday. And and I hadn't said it yet. It's funny. We look back, and we laugh and all this kind of stuff. And so it was a really big deal to her. And I learned on our very first, her very first birthday that we were married that uh, I need to make sure and say happy birthday first. Now, before <laughs> we even wake up, it'll be like, if I have to get up to go pee in the middle of the night, I'll tap her and say, happy birthday. She's like, wait till morning. You know, so. But it's funny. So, but you never know what what really blesses people. Sometimes a happy birthday is a really big deal. Um, if some people like to read, um, I know that there's one person in particular I can think of that um, they they like to process slowly, mm-hmm. but they love to read. And so I would give them um, different books. One book that I think made an impact in their life was uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Oh, yeah. Have you ever read that book? Nabil Qureshi. Yeah. And uh, super, super neat guy. An incredible testimony. If you've never read that book, that's a great one um, to go and to look up. The same kind of different as me is another one. And that's about uh, really a very wealthy white family, a couple rather. And they ended up going to work in the mission and basically brought this man who had all a homeless black man and just the story that these people all collided, you realize it doesn't matter your color, your race, your, your, you know, how much you have in the bank. I mean, God does incredible things, and it was neat. That's a wonderful story. Mm-hmm. So I'll share books like that sometimes, just depending on what might be their flavor. And it gives them opportunity to read and to be inspired by the things of God, mm-hmm. to create dialogue. And that's you fishing for men, because you don't catch each. This is quite crude analogies here, but you don't catch each fish in the same way. No, like, you, you, know, you don't. We can give formulas here about, you know, two plus two is four, blah, blah, blah. But we're all people wonderfully made in the image of God with unique assets to us. And as you say, like if someone is going to, if someone's a reader, then it's our responsibility as the fisherman in that scenario to be asking the Lord, like, what are you saying about this person? And, and what do I do for them that makes a difference for them? And uh, kind of in answer to your last question, because I, I kind of dodged that one because I used up my good evangelism story. From last <laughs> no, week. you didn't dodge it. You didn't dodge it. You're good. I, I do want to. I do want to share a story because I know these things are they're encouraging and they're encouragement to me to remember about and stuff. But this one is probably what I'd want to share my my favorite evangelism story that I've ever had the chance to be a part of in life. And it was a long time ago now, unfortunately, about ten years ago. God one morning in a place of prayer just dropped a name in my heart, a name that I'd never heard before. And I asked a couple of friends at the time, I was like, why do I know this name? The name was Frank Carter. I was like, why do I know this name? Long story short, someone came up to me and was like, Frank Carter is the lead singer of a punk band called The Gallows. And then it came to me, I was like, I actually have seen this band play and they were horrible. You know, (laughs) tattoos all over. Not not that there's anything wrong with tattoos, but upside down cross under the eye. I remember looking at the guy's eyes in that show and thinking, man, this guy is demonic. I don't want anything to do with this guy. A year later, God drops this name in my heart and I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do? He just kept on my case about it. So I booked tickets to one of their shows 
they were just they just so happened to be playing a show in my area of London that week and I was like well if I'm fishing for men I'm not fishing without a ticket so <laughs> I found a friend to go with me I booked a ticket and I prayed while I was down there and super long story short I ended up getting to be one-on-one -on -one with the lead singer of this really famous punk band at his homecoming show just me and him two oh, minutes yes. that's cool in the stairwell of the venue and i shared with him that god put him on my heart and he said these things to me he said why would god put me on your heart i'm i'm a bad guy like i do i do all kinds of stuff there's no way he'd mention me and i was like bro i don't get it either he put your name on my heart and i was supposed to tell you that god is on your case and he loves you and he wants you and then he goes, oh, thanks so much. And I was like, can I pray for you? And he's like, oh, i got to go and do the show. And I was like, oh, okay, a bit disappointed. Then he turned around and said, actually, pray for my mum. And then he walked mm. off. So I was like, okay, strange. So I stuck around for the rest of the show. This is me being all disappointed, being like, God, I thought more was going to happen. I thought he was going to receive you in that moment. And all this was going to happen. Well, he stands up in front of the crowd, like a couple of thousand people, halfway through the set. And he goes, tonight, a young man came up to me. And he said, God loves you. And I said, there's no way he could love me because I'm a bad guy and you lot know what I'm like. But he said, no, God loves me. So this song goes out to God. That's really like, cool. He just That's evangelized cool. to the whole venue. And I was like, so like boosted by that. And I was like, God, that was just nothing special on my part. Just listening to your voice and following you. And then little did I know a few months later, he quit that band called Gallows. I mean, Gallows is where, you know, medieval people went to hang people yeah and he started a new band called pure love really brand new band and he had like a complete transformation and i don't know what he's up to these days and stuff but i've always kept track of him and been like god why why was i used for that and like how that's do i know really how many cool people story. might be touched through it so that's my favorite evangelism one but, but that's just to say like it's just willingness it's just taking a risk it's just is. spending ten dollars on a ticket getting in your car and going and trusting that if you fall flat on your face and you did it in Jesus's shoes. Well, I think it's fitting to, to you know, kind of start wrapping it up with this. And that is what God called us to do. So it's called the Great Commission. If you've not heard of the Great Commission, it's actually, you can find it really easily. It's in the back of Matthew and Mark. It's the very, it's the very last, not just, you know, verses, but it's the very last paragraph. In this one from Matthew, just says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. And I think that's important right there. Yeah. He's telling us to go, to go. Okay, so forget every other word that's in there. Somebody the other day that's in my life group, uh, he, he uh, grew up at YWAM. Well, he didn't grow up at YWAM. When he got out of high school, he ended up going with y YWAM, and that's called Youth with a Mission. Is what that stands for and he ended up in new zealand of all places for several years and uh in fact uh, another he also knows and from our church spencer cockrell spencer cockrell also did ywam mm -hmm. and he was in uh new zealand with us it's, it's just a neat story but anyway you know i was teaching on um well the fivefold ministry evangelism we were talking about it and then i brought up the great commission I read, I read out of the back of Mark, and he was more prone to the, 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 the way that Mark Matthew puts it. Which, but the beginning of both of those, which he said, which I thought was very fitting, and that is, the first word is, go. Mm -hmm. And go. And I think that that's just what so many of us have a hard time with, is the action of going. We don't have a hard time, you know, going, you know, to, to movies. And, to, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a huge movie guy, okay? I love watching movies. I love having a good time as much as the next person. But it's important that we, especially now, look at look at this. I don't know if y'all feel this way, 
but you can feel it, how time is speeding up. Do you feel that? Yeah. Okay, and, and there's a great apostasy, but there's also a great harvest, a harvest that is so ripe. There's a field of harvest. I mean, and as things get more difficult, people need Jesus more. And I'll tell you, I believe we're going to see miracle after miracle after miracle. Amen. And it's not going to come from the top down. It's not going to come from the government. Nobody can protect you from up here. Let me tell you something. The only one that's going to protect me is my Father yeah. in heaven. Okay? And he will. And, and I think that we just need to, to share, be willing to share. So here's what I would like to leave you with. And this is, think about your family. If you have a family member who doesn't know Jesus, I will tell you this. There's one a young man that used to... Uh, Come to group. I'm not going to call him out. He he went about everything the wrong way. He kind of fought. He he had a lot of things he had to overcome too, um, but he eventually you know kind of joined a cult in a way. But he he pushed his whole family away because he wanted to evangelize, but he did it all the wrong way, and he he accused everybody. Um, the Bible calls the accuser the devil, the accuser of the brethren. That's the devil. That's Satan. Um, we don't need to accuse anybody. Let me tell you something. Everybody already knows their sin. Yeah. Um, so I don't got to go up and say, hey, you know what? Because you're such a loser, you know, <laughs> you better get Jesus or you're going to be burning in a pit of hell. That, that, that doesn't work. That just I'm just sharing with you. That doesn't work. Um, and so if you have family, just the easiest way, especially if it's uh, like a, a parent, because it's really hard to evangelize into a parent. Mm-hmm. They know definitely all your baggage. And they're thinking, um, I know all the stuff that you've done in all your life. Um, I don't know what you can say to me. That it's going to, you know, I mean, I, it, you can finish the sentence, but it's just relationships. Hey, you know what, mom, dad, um, you know, I'm praying for you. God's put you on my heart. It's little phrases like that. Uh-huh. They create opportunity for conversation. Yeah, so true. Um, friends, friends are a little different, peers. Um, so when we're talking about the peer side of things, um, we can, you know, sometimes have a little bit more freedom and leeway. But again, it depends on how close we are to that friend. And just know it begins with a relationship. There's many times that uh, I, I spend a lot of time with people sometimes before I ever talk to them about Jesus. They'll some, see something different, and then I'll talk mm-hmm. to them about Jesus. Then there's other people that I met literally on the street a few minutes ago, and I'm telling them about Jesus. So <laughs> just I'm going to – here in a minute, I want to end with a, my testimony, a piece of it. Um, but is there anything else that, that you'd like to share and about just how to encourage people to go? I think it's all just comes down to just go for it. Like I can't even remember the scripture reference, but I think it's Paul who talks about becoming all things to all men. That's yeah. so like be Jesus to these people. Be if this per- if you if this person's going to receive you well by you speaking this way, speak that way. I mean, you got to be genuine in everything. But you know, for my Arab people, I'm I'm the guy who's been to their country, so that's who I'm going to come across as. For this person, I'm going to be that person. I just want to be whoever it is. That is going to be so, like the way that makes them come to it. Be all things to all people. Play the game. Fish for men. Go for it. And don't be afraid of failing because, you know, I think it's in um, just after the Beatitudes and so many places in scripture it says, if you're persecuted for Jesus, if you're rejected for Jesus, consider it joy. You are in excellent company yeah. with the, you know, the prophets, uh, all the, the people who went before. And yeah, consider it pure joy because you're experiencing what Jesus experienced so much. And you're doing it for him. And it might not feel like joy in that moment, but man, how much better is it to fail for Jesus than to live for yourself? Man, that, that's so good. You know, I <clears throat> I was thinking, you know, whenever I uh, people were praying for me, I was a very lost cause, you know. Um, and I had, uh, so I had an aunt who 
was very ill. So I was a senior in high school. I don't know how many of you can, can you know, quote the exact day that you were saved, um, but mine was May 22nd, 1994. So my family had gone through, um, you know, a fairly uh, nasty divorce. In fact, uh, and you know, my, just before I get into the story, it's important for you to understand that I have a, a great relationship with my mom now, but I didn't have a relationship with my mom for 15 years. Um, Brandy, my wife and I were married and had two children before my wife, Brandy, ever met my mom. And that's kind of an odd thing when you think of it. Um, and so uh, th- there's no, th- there's a lot of things that happen, but I did, I spun off. Um, it's hard, uh, to be a teenager in this world, um, without your parents. And so any of you that are going through that, I have a lot of compassion for you. And it's never been harder. I say this all the time. It's never been harder in the history of the world to be a teenager than it is right now. But I had, um, I had an aunt who was very ill. She had uh, breast cancer, and she had actually beaten it, um, but it had come back, and it, it had come back pretty aggressively. And she was, as sick as she was, um, she would reach out to me and, and, and have my uncle, had, just have him come to the house, have him come to the house and, and to feed me. How do you get the teenage boy, you know, through their stomach? And, uh, but after a while, I, I, had just a, I had a tremendous amount of respect. Here in Amarillo, there was uh, the, the Civic Center when I was going to graduate. They had these orange chairs, and they were the most uncomfortable chairs that you could ever possibly sit in. Like, if you were sitting in these things, man, you like feel like you're going to lose a kidney. And anyway, I had a, an attendance issue my senior year of high school, so I wasn't even all that interested in my own graduation. But my my mom wasn't you know around, and my aunt was been, had been praying for me. She had pretty much half of Oklahoma. So that's where she was from, praying for me. She said, "I'm going to come to your graduation." I was like, "I'm going to come to my graduation." I mean, she had hospital beds at home. There was no comfort for her. Well, not only did she come, she came early. So she could get a front row seat so that she could watch me walk across that stage. And that always stuck with me. And in fact, that was the first time I saw something that, that I knew was a love that was way outside this woman. I, know how, I knew how sick she was and that she um, was very frail. And I was wondering what kind of love does that? Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and I know now that it's the it's agape love, but I didn't understand it. She, so she started inviting me to go to church with her. And uh, this was this, this before she actually started inviting me to go before this, but this put it kind of in high gear before. And so I remember the first time I walked in this place, I grew up in a uh, in an Episcopal church. In fact, I was, you know, one of those alkalites and everything else. I carried the torch across, whatever down, you know, and I liked it. The Episcopal church actually for communion served real wine. So I was an honorary kid in the back trying to find the where they kept the wine. Um, but anyway, so anyway, it was a very different church. And so they were going to an Assembly of God church. I don't know if you're familiar with Assembly of God, but it's Pentecostal. So I walk into this place, and these people are dancing, and I mean, it was crazy. I was like, this place, they're nuts. I sit down, and the preacher, when he starts preaching, it's like he's talking straight to me. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't get it out of my head. And, and, and so I was like, you know, week after week. Well, after a while, my aunt asked me, I think I said this last time, my aunt asked me, I don't know if I've told you this, but uh, my aunt uh, asked me to start going on uh, church on Sunday nights, and I thought to myself, well, Nobody's bad enough to got to go to church twice in one day. But, <laughs> but it was actually out of respect for her aunt that I did. And it was actually on a Sunday night, May 22nd, 1994, that I couldn't wait for that preacher to, talk, to quit preaching because I knew what I wanted to do. I had butterflies in my stomach. My heart was just beating. And all I wanted to do was to run to the front of that sanctuary and give my life to Christ. And I shared that last time a little bit because, you know, I shared it with Deanne, uh, the lady you know, who prayed with me. She goes to our church now. But it was, uh, it was a very powerful time in my life. And, and what's interesting is after I prayed that prayer, I had a, a peace and I had a hope that I hadn't ever had ever. 
And I, I'm not going to lie. I, I talked about my levels of stupid last time too. Okay. And, you know, it, I work, I'm still working them out, but you know, it, the thing is, is that it, it gives hope. And when you take that hope, it's contagious. When you share the hope of, of, and love of, of God and what he's done in your life. And we said this last time, but nobody can tell you your story is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, but it's the enthusiasm. You're one of the most enthusiastic people I've ever known. Oh, thank you. Every time we get together and you start talking about Jesus, I mean, you know me. You're evangelizing to me every time we're driving around. <laughs> you, do, you know, it's like God's doing this, and I can't wait to do that. And I see Him doing this in my life. And, and anyway, I, you're, you're an inspiration, and and that right there is contagious. And I just I think there's so many people that are listening to this that you've been afraid to go and to share the word. Let me tell you something: be real, be genuine, build a relationship. And just be enthusiastic about the love of God and what he's done in your life. So true. You can't argue with that. So good. Well, listen, we've loved having you guys here this time. And uh, check back with us next time. We're going to be talking probably about some mentorship, discipleship, um, kind of what's go to that next level in regards to evangelism. But we've loved having you here today. Uh, we can't wait to see you next time. listening to this week's podcast from the Church of Bushland. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram by using the Church of Bushland. We are all about people because God is all about people. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference.